Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, although he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being found and born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." This is God's word. Amen and amen. You may take a seat. There will not be calisthenics or burpees later. Uh, we can incorporate that if you'd like to. Uh, you know, oftentimes on an Easter Sunday, when you have everybody together, maybe some people that you know, maybe some guests that you have not yet met, as a pastor, you sometimes you wonder what's going on in our heads. I mean, maybe the first thing in the morning is, what should I wear, et cetera, et cetera, those sorts of things. But oftentimes when I stand up here, I wonder what have people been going through? And I often don't know because I don't know who you are and what you've gone through. But this last year, as I stand here, I know what you have gone through. I know you sit out there, and do, do you remember last Easter? Do you remember 15 days to slow the spread? That's been the longest 15 days of my life, all right? So, so I know that there has been considerable change of plans and disruption in people's lives. Maybe you've had, I know, I know that you've had a canceled trip over the last year. Okay? I had two international trips that were canceled. I know that you have not been able to see your grandkids. Or grandkids, you've not been able to see grandma and grandpa. I know that you've not been able to see aging parents or grandparents. I know that kids, I know that you have been moved to online school. I know that you have two pairs of sweats at home. The nice ones and the ones you wear when you've given up, okay? You didn't have that division before, but now you do. I know that there have been significant events canceled. The, the Olympics were canceled. Maybe you had a wedding canceled or postponed, or maybe because of this, you moved it up. We live-streamed a wedding for the first time from this very stage. We live-streamed a service this, from this very Last year at Easter, that was the only way you could participate in our Easter service. Maybe you had a graduation canceled, although I have to, again, self-report. One of the things we do here at Taft Avenue is we self-report when we do something that's marginally, marginally bad, and that is, I, I'm not entirely, our, our daughter, Emma, who's actually working up in the booth, she graduated from eighth grade, and that graduation ceremony was canceled, and I have to tell you, we were kind of happy. Okay. We actually, they taped it and we got to watch it from the comfort of our own living room. We made our own snide comments. Okay. We fast forwarded some of the speeches, not going to lie. Okay. But it was awesome because Emma and, and four of her classmates sang the national anthem together and we were able to go back and rewind it and watch it again. 
So I'm not that bad of a person. Maybe if you're new here, you're like, well, this guy is pretty interesting. Okay. Um, maybe you've got, you've been introduced to Zoom fatigue. I know that you have. Some of you have been on Zoom way too much. On a more serious note, this was a year of social upheaval. I know that you've had difficult discussions about race. We've had difficult discussions about policing. There's been protests and riots, autonomous zones and revolts. I know you've lived through one of the most contentious political years of your life. It's the most, politi- most contentious political season that I've ever seen in my lifetime. I also have two words for you. Murder hornets. That happened. That happened this last year. You forget all the things. We even lost Alex Trebek. Our 7 p.m., 7 p.m. is not going to ever be the same after 2020. It was not even, Jeopardy wasn't even safe as an institution. And so this, this Easter, I don't need to remind you about some things. I know you've been at least disrupted, if not in all seriousness, Suffering real loss, grieving something real, there has been a change that has brought on real grief. And many of you I know have battled illness, have spent time in the hospital, have battled COVID in the hospital and at home, have had to have empty memorial services and not been able to walk through those rites of passage that allow us to grieve the ending of something and someone so dear to us. And our passage today in Philippians chapter 2, today we, we come together to do something that we were not able to do last year, which is gather in person to celebrate Easter, to celebrate that Jesus is alive. And the passage we read together at the beginning of the message is a passage that we as a church have been using to guide us through this Easter season. We used it on Good Friday where we, we remembered the death of Jesus, where the cross was blackened, where the cross was stark, not today with lilies and hydrangeas and a white sheet. But this passage is one of the earliest standardized written thoughts about what the earliest followers of Jesus thought about Jesus. And there's a couple of observations that I want to make for us today in the passage as we think about and we celebrate Easter today. A couple of observations and then a little bit of an application for us this morning. And the first thing that I want to note about this passage is this. As much as this year has been a year of disruption, a year of a change of plans, the first thing about this passage that we want to note is that Jesus embraced disruption. Jesus embraced disruption. Listen to this again, Philippians 2, 6. It says that though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And here's the first thing that I want to note about this passage, this section, is it doesn't say that Jesus was emptied by God or that that Jesus 
a humble, that, Jesus, that Jesus was humbled by God or that God humbled Jesus. It says that Jesus humbled himself, that he emptied himself. That you think about this disruption that occurred, that being in the very form of God, and we reflected on this on Friday night, being in the very form of God, omnipotent, all power, all knowledge, everywhere at every time, and taking on a human form, how that finiteness and weakness that Jesus now was beset with weakness. He couldn't go anywhere in the universe. He was in one spot. He was reliant on other people to care for his needs. He emptied himself. It was his choice. He humbled himself. Now, there are some times where I embrace disruption when I'm in my finest moment, but there are also times where I do not embrace disruption in my life, and usually that's on Sunday afternoon. See, maybe you've got a spot, a spot in your house on Sunday afternoon or some other time where you do not embrace disruption. So like this afternoon, we're going to go home, we'll have a great meal, we'll have some great time with our family, and, and there might even be a moment where I find a spot on the couch, and I nod off for a few moments just for a few moments. And I can assure you that in that moment, I do not embrace disruption. And I know that you don't either. I also know that you have maybe other people in your family, I don't want to mention any names, who don't embrace disruption either. And that's why you exist. So that you can be called out to provide something in a moment where no one is embracing disruption. I'm so comfortable. Can you get me this? Can you get, I don't, again, I don't want to call anyone's names out. You can self-report if you would like to, okay? In our family, the code word is, I'll give you $1,000 if, okay? But you might not embrace disruption, but maybe in your finer moments, in your finer moments, you'll embrace disruption. In our better days, we run into disruption because in our, on our better days, we might find ourselves having the mind of Christ, having the mind of Jesus, who was not emptied by someone else's will, he emptied himself. He humbled himself. And our first observation in this passage, after a year of disruption, after a year of a change of plans, after a year of really having to lean into the discomfort of a change of schedule, we have to note that the love of God as we see in Jesus is a love that will run into disruption. It is a love that will embrace discomfort. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. And we wonder how Jesus was able to do this, and this brings us to the second part of our passage. Why does Jesus embrace this sort of disruption, this sort of self-emptying love? And the reason is, is because Jesus entrusts himself to the one he knows who can save him. Listen to Philippians 2.9. After Jesus has humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, therefore God has highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We see that Jesus emptied himself, 
and Jesus humbled himself. It was his own choice. But who raised Jesus from the dead? God raised Jesus from the dead. What's interesting in the Bible, especially on Easter, you might not have realized this, but in the Bible, it it talks about Jesus self-emptying, but when it talks about Jesus' resurrection, it never says that Jesus raised himself or that Jesus resurrected himself. It always says that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. It was God the Father who did it. And the reason why Jesus was able to do so much self-emptying was this. He entrusted himself to his Father. He trusted God. The way, what we like to call that is faith, that Jesus had faith. He had faith that whatever he emptied of himself, that God, his Father, would be able to raise him up. You think about how much trust that took. That going, going from heaven to earth into a human form, the weakness, the vulnerability of being a human being, of being a human baby growing up, the vulnerability of being in a, in a politically contentious environment with the Roman Empire and the thugs, how much he had to entrust himself when he was on trial, when he was being put on the cross, how much he had to trust that his father would one day vindicate him. You might know the idea that you have to, the patience that it might take to have maybe your good name cleared. After a loss of a job that you might get another one, that you might be vindicated. Jesus had to trust, he had to entrust himself to his father. That God would raise Jesus from the dead. Jesus goes to the cross and into the grave with no assurances, only faith and trust. Trusting that God his Father would vindicate him. And spoiler alert, God does. Okay, and that's why we're here, right? We're here because God has vindicated Jesus. Everything he said, everything he did in his life, Every accusation against him, proven, teaching true, accusations false, vindicated, raised from the dead. He resurrects Jesus. He rolls the stone away. The Bible goes on to say that God enthrones Jesus at his right hand. He resumes his place as the empowered son of God. And God will send him one day to make all things right. As our passage states today, God has highly exalted him, and God gave him the name that is above every name, that every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord. Now you might think, well, if you go through all this just to receive all of this exaltation, that Jesus made a good bet, right? that he did it all, that he eventually got everything that he, that he deserved. But listen to why he did it. Listen to why he did it. The very last phrase of this whole passage, 
that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord to Jesus' glory. No, to the glory of God the Father. Even when exalted, even when exalted, Jesus is still self-emptying. And we said this last week, if you were with us, but there is, there is no power on this planet, there's no power in this universe that has more power to change a life than self-emptying love. Someone who will pour out their life for another. We see it with first responders. We celebrate first responders who will put themselves in harm's way. Why do we do that? Because we know that it is the greatest power in the universe. There is no more transforming power in someone's life than if someone empties themselves for them. Why do you think someone like Mother Teresa was celebrated so broadly? Because she cared for the dying and the poor and she gave herself. Why do we think that she's so great? Because we know that Jesus is so great. Self-emptying love will conquer all. And that sounds like a platitude. I know that sounds like, that sounds like a bumper sticker, right? But that is true. Self-emptying love will conquer all. And we are here this morning because that is true. 2,000 years later, we are still celebrating a man who was humiliated by the Romans, clearly overpowered by them, politically crushed. And we're here because of his self-emptying love. Jesus embraces disruption and empties himself. He entrusts his fate to his Father. Jesus is exalted, and he doesn't even do it for himself. He does it for the glory of the Father. Now, if you're keeping score at home, and what I've just described to you, self-emptying love, trusting, not doing it for yourself, yeah, we walk out these doors, we don't see that, right? Like our world, our culture is not about those things. We live in a world where we see really the desire to amass power and control. I don't care whatever side of the aisle you're on politically. We are in a season where that, that, the veil has been torn off of public servanthood, right? That it is, it is about power, and it doesn't matter whether you're Democrat or Republican or anywhere in the political realm, that the veil has been torn away, and it is about the amassing of power. We live in a world of self-exaltation. We might even participate in it on our social media, right? That we don't necessarily post when we're down, we post when we're awesome, or we're in a great place, check me out, selfie, right? Like, the, we live in a world where power and triumph are valued, and self-exaltation seems to be the norm. And then we wonder why we also live in a world where we have never seen anyone more angry. We have never seen more anxiety we have never seen more symptoms of depression, more shame, more addiction, more distrust. I don't know if I've ever, especially in the COVID season, I don't remember 
a time when so many people would walk down the street looking so distrustful at everyone. I've done it. And we wonder why are we in this state? when we live in a world that wants to amass power and influence, a world of self-exaltation, but the symptoms that we are not doing it right abound. It makes us wonder if Jesus was right. I joke, we're here because we know that he was right. We know that he was right, but that path is not easy for us. Jesus comes on the scene and says that God loves you And there is a better way than amassing power and influence. There's a better way than self-exaltation. And when we read the Bible, what we understand is that the good news that Jesus brings is that there is a path out of these symptoms of a broken age. There's a path out of anger. There's a path out of irritation. I, I, I need a path out of irritation at times, right? I need a path out of anger. I need a path out of anxiety. That God offers a path from guilt to forgiveness. That God offers a path from being defiled to being washed clean. God offers a path from slavery and addiction to freedom. God offers a a path from anger to hostility and hostility to peace, from defeat to triumph over evil. God offers a path from death to new life. That is what we are here for today. That's why this church exists. That's why churches all over the city of Orange exist. We had a chance to pray with our pastors this week down at the, at, at the circle. We gather around the fountain and we pray and we had a chance to pray for every church in the city of Orange. And we, the pastors in Orange, we have a partnership in the gospel. We had a text message thread that was going on last night. We're praying that every church is full in the city of Orange, that God's name is, is exalted, that Jesus' name is exalted, that the gospel would be preached. After this shooting that happened just a mile away from here, a couple miles away from here, made national news, Pastors from the city of Orange are chaplains with the Orange PD, chaplains with the Orange Fire Department, praying with those first responders. I had a chance to pray with the chaplains of both those fire, the fire department, the police department, because we love our city. And when evil rears its head in our city, the church responds with compassion. Because we're, we're, we're trying to follow the example of Jesus. That's why we exist here. But we also know that there are things, we can follow his path, but there are things that Jesus has to do for us that we cannot do for ourselves. We cannot reconcile ourselves to God. We have to trust Jesus to do that. These paths from guilt to forgiveness, from slavery to freedom, from death to new life, how do we get on that path? How do we get on that path? The Bible says it is a path of faith. Let me just say some, one word about faith and what is faith. I don't know if you've ever exercised faith, faith in Jesus, faith toward God. This is what it is, and we see what it is in this very passage. Faith is simply this. 
It is, begins with self-emptying. If you want to express faith in Jesus, faith in God, the first act of faith is a self-emptying, fa- fa- uh, a, a self-emptying act. It's an act where you simply say, God, I'm wrong. God, I'm headed in the wrong direction. There is something in my life that I cannot control. There's something in my life that I cannot overcome. It's self-reporting. It's self-emptying. That is the first act of faith, and that's a beautiful first act of faith. That's an act of trust. Because when you confess to God, the Bible calls that confession, you confess to God, what you're doing is you are entrusting yourself to God in the same way that Jesus entrusted himself to the Father. To say, there is something in my life that I cannot control. There's something in my life that I cannot deal with. There's anxiety that I can't deal with. There's guilt that I can't deal with. Someone has done something to me that I cannot deal with. The shame is overpowering. And I'm going to confess that. I'm going to empty that out before you, Father. And I'm going to trust that you can do with it what I cannot do on my own. That is faith. And the Bible says the path from death to new life is a path of exercising faith. It begins simply with a moment of surrender, of self-emptying. I'm going to call the worship team to come on back up here. And I want... If you've been part of Taft Avenue Community Church and you're like, you're like, I'm old school, I'm Evangelical Free Church of Orange. Did we have anybody in here like that? You're like, you still sign your checks that way? Yeah, like, okay, I get it. Um, but if you've been here and you've, you've been around for a long time, you know what the good news is. You've probably exercised faith. But here's the thing. We have a saying in our family. Usually it's about like fitness and eating. And I'm like, you know, okay. But it's um, get on the path, stay on the path. And in this case, the path from death to new life is the path of faith. And this is my urging to you today. If you've not exercised faith in Jesus, my call to you today is, would you get on the path? Would you get on the path and say to Jesus, Jesus, I cannot continue doing this on my own. If you've been on the path, This is my plea to you today. Stay on the path. Get on the path, stay on the path. That today, maybe there's just a little business you need to do with the Lord. Lord, there's something that's overwhelming me. I need your power in this way. I've been walking on my own. You know what we call this? You know what the Bible calls this? The Bible calls this repenting. That is basically repenting is this. It's turning. I've been walking this way. I've been thinking I could do it on my own. And it's just reorienting towards God, a fundamental turn. And maybe you're here today, and it's simply a matter of, I need to make a fundamental turn. I have been going in the wrong direction, and I need to get on the path. Or I've been, going on the, I've been on the path, but I've been kind of off a little bit. I need to reorient. I need to get back on the path. I need to stay on the path.